You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake and here with me today is Eric Johnston, Senior Managing Director and Head of Equity Derivatives and Cross Asset at Cantor Fitzgerald. Hi, Eric. Great to have you back. Maggie, how are you? Great to be here. I'm doing well. And, uh, you know, we have a pretty action packed day in terms of data. We had a hot consumer price inflation reading. I think everybody was waiting for that CPI. We had a beige beige book report. Interestingly, though, we didn't see that much reaction in the market. I mean, a little bit of, you know, push and pull, but no outsized moves. I'm just curious, you know, what your take on that on that economic data was. Sure. So, I mean, you know, expectations heading into this um, print were that it was all in all likelihood going to be a hot print. Um, you know, street for the overall number was looking for about eight point eight percent, but there was um, uh, some you know analysts out there who were predicting nine uh, percent, and they typically have pretty good models. So, certainly, an expectation was that this would be a you know a poor number. And so, I think today people may have come in and said. Um, you know, markets down, either covering shorts or saying, okay, if we can't go down on this number, then we're not going to go down and, you know, might get maybe long for a trade or, or just, or like I said, covering short. Um, to me, this was a very negative number and not necessarily because of what it says for the actual inflation outlook, which there were some implications there. But I think more importantly is that what it means for the Fed outlook. Um, and so the market is now, you know, pricing in today, essentially that the Fed is going to pull forward the hikes. So in all likelihood, the market's now pricing in 100 bips at the next meeting. Um, and then the peak Fed funds rate being now end of this year. And so some could look at that based on, you know, that is more favorable for equities where they want the hikes pulled forward such that we can sort of get it over with um, is the, you know, is a thought process, um, I guess. And as a result, um, the two tens curve inverted significantly today. So uh, last one I checked, uh, inverted by about 24 basis points, um, which is the biggest inversion since the year 2000. So it's pretty, you know, pretty significant. And um, we can you know, discuss whether um, it is predictive at all um, or not. 
But, you know, you had that phenomenon and then, um, you know, you had the expectations coming into today. But, you know, my view is just coming out of today that this is, um, you know, this is something that when you look at the CPI today, it was very broad. So it wasn't just energy and food. Um, You saw rents, which is, you know, rent is 33% of the CPI Mm -hmm. and rents tend to be very sticky. And with 33%, you know, printing up mid single digits year over year, and that's unlikely to change anytime soon. Um, yes, this may be a peak, but I think it's more going to be act more closer to a plateau where, you know, inflation stays very sticky in this seven to 9% area for the rest of at least the next three or four months, which is going to prevent the Fed from pivoting. And that's, Contrary to what a lot of people are expecting, but let, let your comment is really interesting about like the equity market thinking, all right, let's front load this, let's get the pain over with. Mm-hmm. Watch what you wish for. I mean, are they ready for something like that? Is the market priced appropriately for the scenario you just described? Uh, I don't think it is. So, you know, one of the p- thing, you know, people are sort of looking forward to, oh, when the Fed, um, you know, pivots, and then in 2023, the market's pricing in 75 basis points of rate cuts. Yeah. And people seeing that as, you know, a positive. But if you look back at all of the recent rate cut cycles, they have been coincident with sharp sell-offs in equities. Because the reason why the cuts are happening is because the world is in such poor shape. And so um, if you look at the last, you know, four or five rate cut cycles, they've all coincided with equities getting hit very hard. And so my view is, yes, they are pricing in 75 bips of cuts in in 2023. But that's because um, this tightening that's going on right now and slowing growth is going to morph into a real big slowdown, a real big earnings one, if you want to call it recession, um, which is going to then result in lower stock prices and then ultimately potentially rate cuts. But that's not going to that's not going to save the day. I would also say that when the Fed eventually pauses on rate um, on rate hikes, they're still going to be in all likelihood doing QT. So this is also not like a typical situation where, uh, you know, where the Fed is is pausing and then you have a clean slate. No, that's not the way that it's going to be. The other thing I would say is that there's a lot of, you know, talk about this pause. The Fed is going to have to be very, very sure that inflation is squashed because let's paint a picture where we are three or four months from now and the CPI is running at 5%. If they go ahead and verbally say in not so many words that we're done and taking a pause, and all of a sudden all these risk assets, commodities, stocks rip, then you have the chance that inflation then reignites. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's gonna be very, I think the Fed's gonna go longer than the market currently thinks just for that reason. Um, Because, yeah. So. Yeah, that that's an excellent, excellent point. And it's it almost seems like we went from talking about a Fed put to a Fed pivot, but people kind of expecting them to be the same thing as you just described. Are people underestimating how much pain the Fed is willing to tolerate to get that inflation under control? 
I think they are. And you've, you've heard Powell, you know, say more recently that in all likelihood, this is going to cause pain. And that's somewhat, you know, new for, um, you know, for him to, to say that. Um, I think people are also, um, you know, my view is you have to listen to the Fed and whether you think that they are right, wrong, making a mistake, doing great, you have to listen to the Fed. And that's something that we did on the way up. So coming, you know, in 2000, uh, back half of 2020 and 2021, when we were, you know, incredibly bullish here, our reasoning was the economy is growing and sharply, right? We have all this pent up demand and the Fed is easing. And they're telling you that they're not going to stop easing. So you follow the Fed. Now the Fed is telling you that they're not worried about, um, essentially about recession. We are worried about inflation and we are going to be proactively until we see inflation come down sharply and hit our target of 2%, we are going to be um, on it. And they made a very important point because everyone talks about their dual mandate being employment and inflation, but it doesn't mean employment necessarily today. And so what they said, and this was very important, they said that we're looking at what is best for employment long term. So they can make the argument that um, although this is hurting employment today, that for the long term uh, betterment of the employment picture, we need to squash inflation. They've said that. And I think that's what they're they're going to do. And that is not friendly for uh, for equity prices and risk assets in general. And you, you, you shared a chart with us. I think there is also a, this perception that Fed's late. It's late to the game. All that easy policy is still fueling all of this runaway inflation. But you sent over, and a lot of people have been talking about the rapid uh, tightening of financial conditions. Um, are, are we not paying enough attention to that? Is that something that we're, we're sort of not seeing because it's not tangible right now? That's right. I mean, if you if you look at you know, financial conditions on a monthly basis, um, you know, two of the four largest tightening of financial conditions, I believe in the last 20 years have occurred in the last four months. So the, the, the rapid tightening um, is something that is highly unusual. And we are starting to see in a big way, the impact of that. And you can really see it across the board, whether it be the economic numbers, New orders to inventories um, is at ex-COVID is at a you know ten-year uh, low. All the regional surveys. Um, you look at the small business optimism index, which came out this morning. You know that that is hitting nine-year lows. Consumer confidence all-time lows. And so, and then you're seeing it from corporates, right? How many corporates recently have announced either job slowing mm-hmm. or job cuts? That is a very new phenomenon within the last, you know, three, four months. And then you have, um, you know, real time um, information coming from corporates around restoration hardware, Micron, Nike, where revenue estimates are even in an inflation or inflationary environment are getting are getting cut. So we're seeing the impact of these tighter conditions uh, real time. Um, I think in terms of today. One of the things, you know, the CPI was the dominant story, but I think what was very important also was the Delta and yeah. Fastenal earnings because Fastenal is considered an early cycle industrial. And what they said was that May and June, they started to see the impact 
of these tightening conditions and the impact of the slower economy hitting their business. And they also lowered margin estimates for, for uh, the second half of the year. And then the other one was Delta. So Delta had, you know, record, close to record revenues, um, which makes sense. And people think about, you know, equities in, and people say, okay, well, that's an inflation hedge. Well, equities are not based on revenues. Equities are valued ultimately on earnings. And so Delta had close to record revenue, but their earnings got, got hit and was, was well off the highs because of higher costs. Mm-hmm. And I think this is going to be a theme for, you know, for earnings season uh, as we go forward. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, we have the banks coming up next, and then they're really going to start coming in, you know, fast and furious. Have those expectations come down, though, Eric? Because I feel like even just a couple of weeks ago, people are kind of scratching their heads and saying, you know, there's some reason to be concerned, especially you look at the dollar, but we're not really seeing some of those earning estimates come in. So is maybe the economy stronger than we think? Or is, is the economy stronger than we think? Or, or, or is the street just behind on that? I think the street is just is just behind on that. You know, we've been conditioned that corporates always beat earnings estimates. They lower the bar and then they beat and stocks do well during earnings season. But you know, we've also we haven't had the slowdown um, that we've seen that we've just seen in a very you know long time. And so, you know, I number one is I don't think that earnings estimate cuts are priced into stock prices. Uh, the two worst performers today in the S and P five hundred, Delta mm-hmm. and Fastenal. Um, you know, and then I, I would just say that you know not only is it not priced in, but, you know, as you pointed out, earnings estimates, you know, have not been, have not moved at all. And so if you look at earnings estimates today versus where they were four months ago, they're about, you know, unchanged from where they were. And what's happened in the last four months, the dollar has, you know, absolutely screamed higher. You've seen the economic data, um, you know, sharply slow. You've seen, you know, a number of consumer companies uh, talk about that slowing. Debit card uh, uh, transactions have started to have started to slow. So for it not to be changed to me is just people being uh, complacent, um, looking yeah. at, you know, the past and just saying, OK, the earning corporates will do it. They'll come through again. And I just don't think that's going to happen. And the chart that you have up there around earnings estimates shows the parabolic rise that we've seen in earnings and it's all well, well above trend. Operating margins well above trend, return on equity well above trend. Essentially companies have over earned post COVID as there was pull forward effect, rising inflation, which actually has helped corporates over the last year. And, you know, so I think that now um, is the time where margins are gonna finally come down and um, it's going to be a very challenging time for, for corporates, and it's not priced in. 
So how much of a, a, a risk mispricing are we looking at at equities? How much further do they need to come down to adequately affect uh, or reflect rather the environment that you're suggesting? So typically, you know, at least of late, of late meaning the last few recessions that we've seen, um, earnings have come down between 15, it's been a wide range, but have come down between 15 and 35%. Um, this, this time the recession is likely to be more shallow than uh, some of the prior recent recessions. But at the same time, the starting point for earnings is also more elevated going back to the point about over earning. So, you know, right now the estimate for 2022 is, is 228. It's the bottoms up estimate. The estimate for 2023 is in the 250 area. Um, I think next year, or excuse me, the next maybe call it 12 months, um, you know, for them to come in at, you know, somewhere in the two, you know, 205, 210 area, which you're talking about, you know, a 10% um, cut to earnings. I think is the minimum that we're going to see. And I also think that that is plenty enough to get stock prices down because not only will you have the E coming down, but I think the market will put a lower multiple on the lower earnings because the market won't know where the bottom is in the E. And that's typically what you see. You saw it with you know Target. They miss numbers. The multiple actually comes down to lower numbers. And then the other trend that we see is once someone cuts once, they almost always cut a second time and usually a third time. And so that'll be the expectation is that these first cuts will be the beginning, not the end. Mm. So what are we looking at for the S&P 500 in that kind of scenario? Do you have a downside target on that? So right now I'm targeting the low 3000s for the S&P. Um, you know, to, to have that exact, you know, what the exact number is, is, um, you know, is, is very hard to say, but I think, um, you know, a 20% haircut um, ish from here, I think is, uh, I think is real. And so the low, you know, low 3000s, 3000 area, I think, you know, one of the things that and some of the data that we have run, which is actually in the, in the presentation um, that will be uh, supplied here is that when the market sells off more than 23% at the lows, we were down about 24%. The likelihood that you sell off an additional 20-25% goes up dramatically versus normal times. Mm -hmm. So at any given sort of benign time, um, you know, to think that we're going to sell off 25% is, you know, very unusual. But the last seven times that we've since 1970 that we've sold off more than 23%, the market has gone on to sell off an additional 25% plus in three of those seven times. And we had about a 15% sell-off in the fourth time. So the odds, the risks go up dramatically once you've had this time of type of sell-off uh, already. I think that's so important because so many of us have been conditioned to sort of look for the dip, to look for the bottom, to want to try to buy. And when you see stocks off their highs that much, you know, we, we get that question a lot. Um, we, we have some questions coming in and I was thinking this as well. Why haven't we heard companies? So, you know, analysts, you know, notoriously tend to be biased, bullish and, and, and a lot of times late on this to be fair, but why haven't we heard companies warning about earnings? Mark from the RV site asking about that. I think it's a great question. Um, and one of the things that I thought was a potential risk 
for the first two weeks of July was some negative pre-announcements, which we really um, we really haven't gotten. And I think the reason is is because a bulk of the cut to numbers is going to come from guidance. And so if you're a company, you just completed your quarter and you're sitting here and you're likely going to make the second quarter, but you're going to lower guidance, you're not going to pre-announce that. You're only going to pre-announce if you're going to have a mm. significant hit to second quarter numbers. And so I think that's really the reason, the reason why. Um, you know, we're getting announcements like we got last night where Google puts out a email to their employees saying we're going to be slowing down hiring. So I look at something like that and, you know, are they, they must be seeing something in their business in order to initiate that email to their employees. And so there's a lot of signs like that, that suggest cuts are coming, but it's most likely going to be in guidance as opposed to 2Q earnings. That is a great, great explanation. And it makes a lot of sense. And it's, I think, speaks to this fast and rapid decline that some people are worried about happening in economic conditions because of that financial tightening you talked about and some of the pressures coming on earnings from both input costs and the strong dollar and such. I want to plug in another piece of this, and then I'm going to get to some of the questions. By the way, we're going to put all of Eric's charts up um, on the site so you can look through them in more detail and really sort of expand them. Um, And if you're on the site now, go ahead. And if you want to pull any of them up, you could see it in real time. But The other piece of this is also commodities, right? And we've seen them coming off and it's been a really difficult time. For some people, that's also concerning. It's a little confusing because inflation is still running so hot. But uh, in the ag commodity space where there was a lot of a big, quick run up, we've seen a, a, a rapid decline in some of them. I had the opportunity to sit down with Sean Hackett. He is specializes in agricultural commodities and looking at the impact of weather. Um, some of it's longer term, but some of it is also near term as well as he tries to sort out cross asset impact on agriculture. And he's also concerned about the future and particularly that this is not the time when you could just sort of broadly make a bet. Let's listen to what he had to say. For the next 12 months, meaning from now to next summer, early fall, I think you really got to pick and choose. It's going to be a commodity pickup. I don't think you're going to do well with a broad basket of commodities like you did from 2020 to 22. Now, when we get to the latter part of 23 and we get into that 24, 25 Gleisberg cycle, you know, then I think you can, you know, you could be more broad again. And I think that could work, but I think you need to shift gears to being a commodity picker um, in the next 12 months, not a, just own them all kind of a thing. I, I really think that's a, it's a great question. Um, and I think it's really is a different strategy the next 12 months than it's been for the last two years, quite frankly. And that full interview available to all subscribers on the website. Um, and if you're in that space, you'll definitely want to check it out. Um, Sean talking about a one in 100 year drought potential a little bit further out. So you're going to want to check that out. Um, so We'll do commodities in one second. Bonds, though, Eric, I want to talk to you about bonds. So your your bearish equities, you see the potential for maybe another 20% leg down for the S&P 500. Should people then be in cash? Should they be increasing their exposure to bonds? What are you expecting from the bond market? Sure. So, um, you know, number one, I, I like uh, cash. It's something that I've been, uh, you know, talking a fair amount about. Um, because I think it's ultimately going to be a 
a very valuable asset. So number one is your your, your returns on cash are, are rising. They're clearly still very negative. Um, but more importantly, I think it's going to become very valuable when we get the equity uh, sell-off. Um, I also uh, like the long end um, of the curve. So my view is that the Fed is going to be, you know, very aggressive um, and that, you know, ultimately this is going to result in, you know, very negative growth and that they will ultimately cut. And so I think owning, you know, 10 year and out, I think is, uh, is attractive. Um, where I think you're going to uh, not only are you getting uh, some yield out of it now, um, albeit a negative real yield, uh, but I also expect to get price appreciation. Um, I do I do think that um, over the over the next six months, as things are deteriorating and as the Fed continues to slam on the brakes while things are deteriorating, uh, people are going to price in a you know deeper recession as we go uh, as we go out in time. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, Paul, uh, on the RV site, Paul Bachow asking the professionals have some of the largest short positions they've ever had. How will this reduce the impact on any equity index fall? So, you know, right now, if you look at um, equity vol relative to rate vol, equity vol is, is right now at a sharp uh, discount. Um Part of that has been that the rate realized volatility has been extraordinary. Um, and from an equity vol perspective, you have a couple things going on where close to close vol um, has been you know, a lot lower. So it's not realizing, um, even though the intraday moves um, would support it. But I think also there is a view that, and I think this is sort of part of the legacy complacency that's out there, that the downside for equities from these prices is not, you know, is not that deep. Mm. And, and that's causing, um, you know, essentially vol levels in, in equities to be far below what we're seeing in other asset classes. And when I say far below, far below um, where they have historically traded. Um, so in a relative, so I think those are sort of the, the dynamics there. Is the credit market more accurate? We talked about the, the, a lot of people, you know, noting that the yield curve is inverted. Is the credit market more accurately pricing in the risks out there, the risk of the Fed having to be aggressive for longer than the equity market? It is. I mean, so if you look at um, we, our valuation metric um, is the equity risk premium that we that we use. Uh, when you look at the equity risk premium um, overlaid with uh, credit spreads. Uh, it shows that uh, the credit market is pricing in a lot more risk than the equity markets are. And I think that is a, you know, 
big, uh, I think it's a, a mispricing personally of current equity risk. So right now the equity risk premium is about 3.08% on forward earnings. And, you know, in, in six of the last eight years, at some point it's gone above 4%. And um, I think the risks now are much higher than what they were in, uh, in, in some you know, prior years. And if you overlay credit spreads overlaid with the equity risk premium, that also suggests that the equity risk premium right now should be much higher uh, than it is. Uh, it also shows that you know, credit spreads also show that uh, volatility levels, implied volatility levels within equities should be higher than where they are now. And I think that's much more of a you know, correct um, interpretation of the risks that are out there. Eric, uh, uh, what I love about you is that you deliver this very calmly and and very logically, but this is ugly what you're describing, right? This is not a good situation if you have the potential for volatility to spike, for equity to go down 20%, for yields to be dropping, for a recession to be on our doorstep, and for it to be really not adequately priced in the equity market. I mean, this is not a good scenario. It's not. And if you think about it around you know risk reward, so let's talk about, I guess, the, the bull scenario. So if you think about the bullish scenario, um, let's say that we were going to do $228 in, in earnings this year. Um, let's say that we do see everything works out fine. Corporate earnings somehow hold up despite everything we just talked about. And let's say next year goes up by, you know, call it, you know, four to 5%. Um, the appropriate multiple, you know, people that talk about a potential 20 multiple, 19 multiple on earnings, it's just, that's, that's bubble territory. Like that, that's not reality when, um, when the Fed funds rate is not at zero, but is at 3% or the 10 years, not 50 bips, but it's at, um, you know, three and change percent. Um, this, this is not 20 multiples doesn't make sense. So um, whether it is 17, 16, 12, you know, the best case scenario that we can see is that we're at about 17 times. And so when you think about the reward from here and well, let's say we're wrong and we, we ultimately just have slow growth, you're talking about, you know, 41, 4,200 um, of around where you can get to. And so the risk reward in owning is owning equities is, is very unattractive. And then, you know, as, as you pointed out, what we think is, look, you have a, you have a very aggressive Fed into a slowing economy with earnings that are well above trend. They don't, you know, this doesn't, you can look at any trend chart of earnings. This does not last. It never has before. And there's a lot of reasons based on, on COVID and a lot of dynamics there that cause this above trend earnings that are going to revert. And so all of a sudden, if you have earnings cuts and you have multiple contraction, because that's what happens when earnings typically uh, go down in a rising rate environment with inflation still an issue, that's what can bring down you know, prices uh, sharply. And then it always becomes self-fulfilling. It's always hard to, to kind of picture S&P 3000. But when you're at S&P 3300, uh, people are a lot less wealthier and that feeds on itself. And all of a sudden you have more job cuts and it becomes a spiral effect and that's how it happens. And that's why to the point earlier about 
once you're down 23, 24%, then it's a lot easier to go down another 20%. And yeah, that's, it's just for those reasons. And you have people selling things because they have to. Um, and, and you know, That's I right. like the way you're laying it out. No one has a crystal ball. The timing of this is really difficult. But what I think Eric and a lot of the guests have been laying out is the probability, right? You're trying to look at the probabilities of what's going to happen and the risk reward. I want to try to squeeze in two more questions. We, 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 I said we get back to commodities. Yo-Yo asking about oil. Are you completely staying away from commodity space? Anything there you like if you think inflation is going to be sticky? Or would you be, would you be worried about that sector in a recessionary scenario? So I think to the point earlier, you know, every commodity is going to be is going to be different. And so in, in especially in this time with what's going on with the, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine war and then other issues around around weather. So in many times, it's much more of a demand, purely a demand situation where you can kind of talk about all commodities um, you know, together, but this time it's much more around what the supply dynamics are, you know, along with along with demand. I would say that my broad view uh, over the next, you know, six to nine months is that, you know, commodity prices, I think are going to head lower um, where, and, and most of it is from the drop in demand. And then some of the supply issues probably over the next six, next six to nine months getting better just because, um, you know, this is uh, not a sustainable, um, you know, long-term situation. And then people be motivated to try to fix the Russian Ukraine, um, you know, situation. Now, from a tactical perspective, um, one of the things, one of the things I like is copper. Um, copper has relative to the S and P has gone down much further. It's another thing that would suggest lower stock prices. But you know, over the course of the next two or three weeks, I think you'll see a reversion higher in copper. But that's much more of a trade as opposed to a six month view. Right. That's important distinction. And we'll, we'll end it as as we're looking across. And, and, and it's fantastic to have you because you do look across assets. Uh, in his most recent macro insider talk with Julian Brigden, Raul said um, something that really struck me that he thinks it's possible that everything does a full pandemic unwind. Stocks, bonds, everything. Does that seem possible to you? Uh, it does. So, you know, you everything from, you know, you didn't mention crypto, but crypto. Yeah. Um, so forget about that. <laughs> yes. And, you know, if you look at, if you look at ARC as an example, ARC is actually, you know, below where it was pre COVID and, you know, everybody, these all assets are all different, but the point is, is that sure. A full unwind. I mean, you have, um, you know, everything is now going into reverse, right? Rates are higher than they were pre uh, pre pandemic. And ultimately, I think you're going to get to a demand picture that's going to ultimately be, uh, you know, be below. So a, a full unwind um, certainly makes sense. And if you think about the goal of the Fed, the Fed's trying to reduce the balance sheet by three trillion. So it's not entirely what they, um, you know, what they put on the balance sheet, but during the during post COVID, but it certainly is a vast majority of it. Um, and whether they actually get to all three trillion, we'll see. But uh, but certainly, uh, I would agree with that premise. Eric, great to have you on today. You know, a lot, I think, to put on our radar, very cautionary, but it's an important time for us to all be looking at this. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And as we said, um, Eric's uh, report and all the charts will be available on the website so you can go check them out. So thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for watching. We will be back same time tomorrow. Andrea Steno Larson is going to be here with Francis Coppola. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.